Welcome to Who Knows Real Estate, Episode 9, Secrets of Flipping Homes. I'm Kevin. And I'm Jim. And today our guest is Jeff Johnson, and he's the co-founder of Better Path Homes, which is one of Charlotte's largest wholesalers and flipping companies. Jeff shares lessons he's learned from flipping hundreds of homes, like how to find and retain great contractors, how he uses systems to scale his business so he can focus on some of his other passions and giving back and why he looks for multiple strategies on every single property. This is a must listen. Here it is. Awesome. So thanks for coming on, Jeff. Super excited to have you. I've known you for almost a year now, and I'm excited to to learn more from you about real estate. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about how you got into real estate? Okay. How I got into real estate. Well, I always loved real estate. I mean, I, I grew up in a house that was built in the 1890s. And literally, I think that was my whole childhood was rehabbing that house. So just, I was around trades my whole childhood and, and all kinds of stuff going on. And then um, when I got out of college, I bought my first house, like right out of college. It was an old 1920s craftsman. And we fixed that thing up and sold it, made a little bit of money. I was like, huh. So I always had that kind of, I had that kind of itch. Yeah in the back of my mind. And I got an engineering degree. So I was actually working in the engineering field for quite a while in construction, believe it or not. I was in the construction side of the engineering field. And then we moved to Charlotte and uh, it was right after the crash, you know, right after the housing crash in 07 is when we moved up here. Thank God we did because we were living in Florida. So we would have, we ended up staying there for a while yeah. <laughs> being upside down <laughs> on our house. But I just, uh, just kept, kept kind of just watching the market and, and decided to take a, I took a course from a guru out in Sacramento, flew out there and did like a five-day boot camp. And, she, you know, she taught me the basics about doing real estate. And I came back to Charlotte and just put my nose to the grindstone. It took me nine months to get my first deal, but, wow. you know, I just was consistent yeah. on the phone every week because I was only doing it one day a week. That's probably the reason it took me so long. <laughs> but uh, just, just on the phone and, you know, if you contact enough people, eventually something's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I got my first deal made, I don't think I made 23 grand or something like that. And I was just like, okay, I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And what's your first deal, a flip or? Yeah, it was a flip, uh, an Indian trail. A contractor got put in jail about two thirds of the way through the project for crack, uh, crack possession. Wow. So good. that was a good first deal. So I ended up doing the rest of the work myself. Yeah, at least you had some experience. Yeah, right? at least I know what I was doing, luckily. So that came in handy. But um, yeah, that was my first experience with a flip. And then the second one I got sued on, which was oh, interesting. Man. So I really shouldn't be in this business anymore, but I, I really have to love yeah. it if I went through those two experiences. And and uh, and I still ended up, uh, you know, full-time in real estate, so... That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about like what you've done over the last couple of years and where you guys are at now as a company? Okay. So last couple of years, I, uh, so in about 20, late 2014, I started doing new construction. I just happened upon a lot. It sort of dropped in my lap and, and I just went for it. And after that experience and just the simplicity of it, uh, I decided that's what I want to do. I, you know, I want to do yeah. more of that. So I ended up doing quite a bit more new construction while still doing a whole bunch of rehabs. And I think while I was on my own before I, before I partnered up with the betters, I was, uh, I think I was doing 15 at a time. So it was busy. Wow. And I had a, yeah, I had a project manager and I had an acquisitions manager. So I wasn't doing all the work myself, but just managing that many jobs was, was a lot of work. And so about this time last year, in fact, it was right around this time last year, 
me and and Stephanie and Zach Betters, you know those guys. Yeah. We we started talking about about partnering up. I had skills they didn't have. They had skills I don't have, and and they're just fantastic at marketing. And Stephanie's a, a wonderful integrator, and Zach is just as far as marketing goes, he's just amazing. So we decided to form a new company. So we've we're sort of phasing out our old companies. I'm still mm-hmm. got some projects I'm doing in my company that I had before we joined up, but uh, we just went all in in uh, in Better Path Homes and. And uh, just creating systems. So that's been the big thing that we've been doing for the past year is creating systems inside of our real estate business to automate what we're doing. Yeah, And that's anything from training employees to, you know, how do we run a deal through the system? How do you wholesale a deal? How do you advertise? I mean, marketing, everything. We're building systems for all that. So that's really what we've been focusing on. And we're just now starting to see the fruit of all that work over the past year. That's awesome. I'm super excited to talk about like the systems that you've built because I know you are like a systems guy. Well, I'm I'm personally like I don't like to yeah. build systems. I like systems. You like systems in general. I don't you. don't make me. I don't want to be building those systems. Yeah. But I see the I see the huge benefit in having systems. Yeah. Because you know in this business, every especially in rehab, everything's different. Every single property is different. You know, you might have one that's got a, you've got a, an addition and then you've got another one that you're, you, you know, you're, you're gutting and adding a bathroom inside. I mean, it's just, everything's different. Yeah. Different neighborhoods. And, and it's so you, you have to have those systems. Otherwise that's all you do is just run around doing the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. How many flips do you think you guys have done over the last five to 10 years around Charlotte? Since I, well, let's see, I started in 09. So since I was... Since I started in 09, now both of us combined yeah. have done a couple hundred together. Wow. You know, if we combine it, I've done, I think I've done 100, 140, 150, something like that. I lost count. Yeah, that's a lot of flips. It's, it's significant. I mean, you know, you start out doing one or two and then pretty soon you're doing four and then it's seven and then it's 12 and then you're going, uh. Yeah. And 15, I'm going, okay, no mas, no mas. <laughs> but I remember, you know, in, in 2016, 2017, if I had less than nine properties on the board that I was actively working on, I was starting to get nervous. Yeah. I was actively looking for more properties. So, Can you talk a little bit about like the basics of flipping, of how you're finding deals, what kind of renovations you're doing and what timeline, and then how you're actually getting subcontractors or contractors for that? Like well, it's a high level overview of when sure. you're active. And that, I mean, that changes about every three months, yeah. especially the marketing, marketing piece. Any book that anyone's read on marketing for real estate, just throw it away because it literally changes every three months. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going to the internet. The problem with internet marketing, of course, is you have all of the hedge funds and iBuyers out there just completely yeah. flood. Every, every week I see Facebook just up. flooded with new yeah. iBuyers, you know, offering to pay full price for these people's houses. And you just, it's impossible to compete with that. So you have to, you have to kind of pivot and do something different. So that's what we've done. We still use a lot of tech marketing. We use, you know, Facebook and, and, and the internet, uh, but our, you know, our tack is a little bit different. So we're looking for a different kind of seller than those iBuyers. iBuyers all about commoditization. Right. So they, you know, they're like, how much is your house worth? We'll pay you that much. You know, we can't make money like that. You know, I don't, I don't know how they're making money. I guess they've, they've figured out some magic formula where they can pay retail, (laughs) (laughs) sell the house for less than they paid for it and still, and still make a profit or I have no idea how they're doing it. I I think it's all going to come crashing down around them pretty soon, but that's just my opinion. Uh, those people are probably smarter than me, but you know, we've, we've had to constantly evolve. And that's one thing that, uh, that my partner Zach is really good at is, is just watching the real estate market. He's got a, you know, we've, we've got a great network in the masterminds that we're in. 
of people who are doing what we do. And they're, so they're, they're, they're testing these things in other markets too. And we're able to take that information and use it to, um, to develop our marketing plan, which is, which is really awesome. So, and then we'll split test things and we'll give them that information. So we're all kind of helping each other because we're not really competitors, you know, there are other markets in the country and that really has helped out a lot. So we've started all kinds of different campaigns and we're still, you know, just like everybody, we're still doing mailing campaigns. They just, you see the percentage response has dropped yeah. from, you know, 3% five years ago, then it's like 2% and then it's one and then it's a half a percent. If you get a half a percent response, you know, you're like, it's, all right, yeah. <laughs> it's working. And then, you know, you're going out to, you're going out to properties and there's already been three or four investors out there. So it's just, you have to develop, you have to develop systems that help you stand out really is, is what it comes down to. And there's nothing, we're not doing anything magical. I mean, yeah. you can, you can go on YouTube and figure out the 14 different ways that we market for properties. We just try and do it better than everybody else. Yeah. That's how really do you, it. how do you guys like try to separate yourselves? Cause I've been on unemployment cause we send direct mail out and mm-hmm. I've seen a stack of 30 postcards, letters, handwritten notes. Sure. How do you stand out from 30 others saying similar things? Well, number one, we've been in business for 10 years. So I've got a 10 year track record, which right there wipes out about 90% of your competition. And we also, I mean, we, we have the capability to actually buy every house that we walk into an appointment on. So, you know, a lot of these guys are just going to, are just going to wholesale. Not that we don't wholesale cause we do, but if we have to close on something, we will. So that's, that's another, you know, that's another way we kind of set ourselves apart from a lot of the competition. The fact that we're family owned, we're local, we put a face, you know, to our company and we've built a, we built a brand here locally too. So we've got, you know, reviews and People, people want to do business with people that they trust. Yeah. So we want to be that trusted business. It's, it's kind of where, kind of where we're at. We're not just some guy that shows up in a track suit and, you know, <laughs> throws them an offer that they're going to renegotiate later. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's, that's it in a nutshell. And it's, it's nothing, it's not any different than, than, you know, HVAC businesses or, or, or electrical business or whatever in, in the community that, you know. You want to do business with people you like and trust. So yeah. we want to be that business. I mean, it's no, it's no, no huge secret. No, I love that. Can you talk a little bit about like what your buying box looks like for when you look at flips and like what you kind of look for, whether it's your build or size of the property or only this level of rehab? Like what does that normally look like for you? Well, that's a loaded question. So as far as flips go, we have, um, we've pulled out of the higher end market so, you know, anything over 400, 450 K, we're just, we're going to pass on that most of the time, unless there's just a ridiculously sick margin on it. Dude, I just, I just see a lot of risk in that price point. Now we are building in that price point, but I feel a lot more comfortable building in the areas we're building in at that price point than, than trying to rehab and flip. So we sort of pulled out of that, pulled out of that higher end market where I was really dabbling in that a lot a couple of years ago. Yeah. I don't want to get caught with, you know, fifteen five dollars $500,000 properties if all of a sudden the interest rates go up 2% and people decide they don't want to move to Charlotte anymore. Not that I don't think that's going to happen, but we're really trying to hedge our bets uh, there. So really, we're just looking at, we're looking at how much profit can we make? Yeah. And can, can we, do we have multiple exit strategies on a, on a, on a deal we buy? So I don't ever want to get into a deal where our only exit strategy is Airbnb or rental. <laughs> you know, I mean, like even for a rental property, I want to be able to wholesale it, rehab and flip it, rent it, Airbnb it, lease option it. I want to have as many exit strategies as I can possibly have. 
If I've got one, we got a problem. Yeah. I got to be able to at least, at least uh, flip it or rent it. I may not be able to wholesale it, but I got to at least be able to flip it or rent it. And the ones that we've bought, and I'm not saying we haven't made mistakes because we have. Yeah. The ones that we purchased where we only had one exit strategy have, have bitten us almost every time. That's, it's quite amazing. So that's probably the biggest <laughs> thing. And we don't, we don't have specific areas where like, we won't buy here. We won't buy, I mean, we'll buy anywhere as long yeah. as the profit margin is right. And the nice thing about that is having systems, we can figure out how to make that work. So let's say we buy, you know, we starting to buy stuff in Gastonia. We figured out a system, how to do rehabs in Gastonia. I didn't ever want to go to Gastonia, but here we are. You yeah. know? What is it? Um, what does a rental look like for you? If you do do a rental, what kind of numbers are you looking at? My partners and I differ on this a little bit. I want to make 400 a door. I want to net 400 a door. Their number's 200. I like 400 because I know I can replace an AC unit and still break even over a year. And I yeah. just replaced two at two of my rentals. So I know what I'm talking about. You know, to have to recover an AC cost over two years, to me, it just doesn't yeah. make any sense. But all of my rentals have way better margins than that. Way, way, way better margins. I like to buy a property for 60 grand and rent it out for, rent it out for 1200 or 1300 a month. Are you finding those in Charlotte or mm-hmm. in the second? Really? Mostly secondary markets. Yeah. In fact, the rental I went to today is up in Mount Holly and, and I paid 80 for that and it rents out at 1300 a month. I, I like those numbers. Yeah. That's a great market too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a 1% guy. I know a lot of people look at the 1% rule, but you know, one heavy maintenance year and you're going to be upside down on that property. And, you know, I know it's a nice tax write off, but I want money in my pocket. <laughs> So, so we're really careful about how we, how we buy rentals and I'll build my rental portfolio slower, but I'm also going to have less properties to manage and maintain while making the same amount of profit down the road. Yeah. I love that. Having multiple exit strategies for properties. Yep. Do you maintain those multiple exit strategies like throughout the renovation progress or is that really just on the front end to figure out? We'll, we'll, so, so the way it's been working for us lately, and I really like this method, just with the number of buyers we have, cash buyers we have in Charlotte, uh, we'll try and wholesale everything first. Yeah, you know, we'll we'll put it out there if we want to. If we really want to rehab it, you know, we'll put it out there, maybe at a little higher price. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and if nobody picks it up, then we'll rehab it. And some we just go straight to rehab because it's just crazy numbers. Yeah, and we just don't want to. We, we're not going to let it go. We just bought one up on Downs Avenue, you know, up in uh, mm-hmm. Plaza Shamrock area, and we just looked at the numbers. And we're like we got to rehab this thing. You know, we got to put 10 grand into it. We're going to make 60 grand. That's be silly to wholesale that. Thing. Yeah, definitely. So we do, we do a lot of those, but we will try and wholesale everything. So we will send it out to our different lists. So we have what we call the ultra VIP list. And these are people that have bought two or more properties from us, or I'm sorry, three or more properties from us. And then they can also get on that list if they want to pay us 500 bucks a month. So it's a paid list as well, but it's, they get that, they get all our deals within 24 hours of us getting them under contract. So that's going to be their best, the yeah. best way that they're going to get great deals is they're going to get those first. So I would say at least half of our deals fly off the shelf in the ultra VIP phase. And then we go to the VIP list, which is people that have bought one or two deals from us. And then also people that I know personally and have relationships with and that our acquisitions agent has relationships with and they've been vetted. We know they have the cash. We know they can close. They're serious investors. And then after that, it goes out to our general list. And, you know, we still sell stuff on our general list all the time because, you know, it's people who want to do one or two flips a year and they're going to manage it themselves or rehab it themselves. And then if it won't sell 
it in in that phase, then we will shoot it out to Facebook or Craigslist. And stuff, you know, stuff goes for crazy money on Facebook and Craigslist. Yeah. That's a great strategy of like listing all of your properties as a wholesale deals mm-hmm. before you even take them down just on the front end. Because if you can get, you know, 20 or 30K up front versus 40K in the back end. Right. You probably take that deal all day long up front. Well, it just allows us. Well, there, you know, when you have a when you have a business that has multiple employees and we have a pretty hefty overhead every month and we have to cover that overhead. So having properties that are taking six months for us to rehab yeah. and sell doesn't help us cover our overhead. So that's really help us cover our expenses every month. And our acquisitions team has a goal of, you know, covering our expenses plus a certain amount of profit every month. And, and they do that with wholesale deals. And then when we rehab stuff, that's just gravy. Yeah. That's just gravy, especially new builds too are great. But it's such a long, you know, such a long turn that's really hard to, it's really hard to, plan and execute right a real business with that kind of product yeah it's very management intensive oh absolutely and every product is different it's not like you're building the same house 40 times over that's right every house is different that you're renovating that's right well new builds are easier because we do have i think we have eight or nine plans now that we build and we will move them around a little bit and change a few things but we're getting pretty good at building those but you know minimum you're into those is eight months yeah with money just flying out the door so we have to be really careful about that. So one of the uh, the most common issues I hear from other investors is how to find and retain good contractors. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do you have any advice or anything you've learned over the years that you might be able to pass on to the audience? Well, I you know I'd say first of all you need to be a good employer. Yeah. So if you want to keep good crews around, number one you got to keep them busy. That's been the number one thing. If we can keep somebody busy, they don't have to go out and market for deals or market for work, then, you know, they're asking us, when's the next project? I, I want our best guys to be constantly asking us, do you have another project for me? Yes, we do. Yeah. So we'll actually, sometimes we'll actually buy deals that we would normally wholesale because we want to keep our contractors busy. Mm-hmm. So there's a little balance there. And so you, you want those types of guys, you want to keep them busy and then you got to pay them quickly. Yeah. And we have systems set up so that we can get guys their checks within a few days of getting an invoice. And they love that, you know, because they're going work for America's Homes for Rent or sure. some of these other companies and they're 60, 90 days for a check. And yeah. Most, it's hard for them to run their business yeah, like that. Yeah. They're, most of them are running, you know, they're running hand to mouth. They've got big families that they're supporting and, and they love getting that paycheck. Yeah. You know, every every week or every couple of weeks. So that's been really great is just, just payment. And then just, just building a relationship with them. You know, people forget that, that this is a relationship business and yeah, we want to have relationships with our sellers, but if you don't have a good relationship with your contractors and you don't give them that emotional paycheck, you know, good job, great job. Here's a little bonus for doing a great job and constantly encouraging them. Now, if they suck, of course, you're not going to encourage that behavior, but, uh, but you know, if you've got a good crew, you want to you want to give them that emotional paycheck too. Yeah. So that's that's just as important, I believe. So for like people who are looking to grow their contractor team, uh, do you have any advice on how to weed out some of the bad apples on the front end before you start a project oh, and he so goes easy. to jail? This is so easy. Yeah, the easiest way to weed out bad contractors is to ask them for their insurance certificates. Yeah, yeah, it, that's there goes 50, <laughs> 50 60 percent of them right there. You know, uh, we'll need your insurance before we can start work. Oh, I don't have insurance. Okay, well, bye-bye. 
we're done. Because the nice thing about them having insurance is let's say they go, say you have a siding contractor who goes and he screws up your siding and a year later it's rotting out and the homeowner calls you and, you know, we like to try and fix things. Or if it's a new build, you have a one-year warranty. If they don't have insurance and they've skipped town, guess who's paying for it? You are. (laughs) And there's nothing I love better than calling a or texting one of my contractors who has a repair they need to do and they won't respond to me. I said, you know, do you want me to, do you want to fix this or do you want me to just call your insurance and submit a claim? And they're there the next day because they don't want claims on their insurance. It's going to be way more expensive for them to explain to their insurance company why I'm submitting a claim. So that's huge. And then I always ask for references, you know, give me some references. I want to go see projects. If they don't have any active projects, no, we're done. Red flag right there. Huge red flag. Huge red flag. Yeah. They should have, they should be busy. Like I only want to hire busy guys. I want to be stealing busy guys from other, other investors or other, other, um, homeowners. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Has it been any different finding contractors for your new construction versus the renovations or has it been a pretty similar learning experience? Well, that's a, you know, that's a different method because you're using a lot of subs. You know, you've got your foundation sub and your, your framing subs and your electrical, mechanical, plumbing, roofing, all those guys. So we've got a really great, a really great crew built now. They understand what we expect. We know what their pricing is going to be. There's just not a whole lot of surprises. Every now and then, of course, we'll have a surprise, but that's, that's very different in new builds. So it's really just the, it's the fill-in trades that you have to, yeah. you know, like punch out guys and landscapers and those kind of guys are still a little bit hard to find oh, yeah. good ones. <laughs> but, you, you know, like, for instance, drywall in a new construction uh, uh, project, we want to use the same contractor to do drywall and paint. Yeah. So that there's one point of responsibility. That's been huge. Anytime we can do that, where we can consolidate responsibility on a single contractor, on a single sub, Mm -hmm. that really, really helps us build the house properly. And then if we have any warranty issues or any punch issues, it's just so easy. And you might pay a little bit more up front for that, but I think it probably saves you money or you break even. And it definitely saves you a lot of stress. Uh, for sure, the, yeah. On the when, back end. when you're trying to get somebody to come back and fix something, they love to blame it on somebody else. But if if they did those three trades in a row, yep. then it's all on them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and one of the funny things I always find about contractors, and I, this is every single one of them I've ever had, I've never had another contractor actually compliment another contractor's work. Ah, <laughs> oh, I wouldn't do it that way. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe they did it that way. Like, oh, God, you know. After hearing that for about the 50th time, I was like, okay, I'm on to you guys now. <laughs> <laughs> You're the best, right? So, <laughs> yeah, so that's it. And, and we market for contractors almost as hard as we market for uh, for deals. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's turnover. You get seven, eight, nine deals uh, or, or projects out of a contractor normally. And then uh, you're done. Yeah. They start taking advantage of you. So we've had, a, I've had a couple guys that I started out with, you know, seven, eight years ago and I used them for 10 deals to flip. And then we took a little two year hiatus and then I called them up again. Yeah. And we started up again and I'm, I've got one right now that we're using. This is our third, this is our third cycle of doing this. And so far so good. <laughs> <laughs> knock on wood, right? Yeah, knock on wood. Yeah. Knock on wood. Can you talk a little bit about um, when you're doing flips and you do a renovation, sometimes you try to keep the budget under 15 grand. Can you talk about how, how you do that and why you do that a little bit? Keep the budget under Yeah, so if you can keep the budget under 15 grand and you're not moving plumbing, electrical walls, those kinds of things, you can actually go in and do a rehab without a permit in North Carolina. 
Yeah. So, but the second you start moving plumbing and electrical and walls, you have to pull a permit. And, you know, the permitting process will add 50% to a construction schedule just, just for inspections and, and the, the, the type of crews you have to get in. Cause I can't have my handyman yeah. go in and rewire switches. I have to have an electrician do it. And that's a whole different step, you know? Yeah. I mean? And you know, all those trades, they want everybody out of the house while they're working. I don't know why that is, but I, we get calls all the time. Hey, why is the, you know, why is the HVAC guy in here? Like, Cause he's doing work. We're trying to get the house done. You know, well, I don't want him in here. Uh, so there's this, I don't know, this protective nature that we have to deal with. So, so if you can, you know, if you can get your house done under 15 grand, uh, wink, wink, you yeah. know, <laughs> uh, then you pay for material separately. Uh, well, we try and be realistic about yeah. it. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, if, if you're going to be moving stuff around, you want to pull a permit because you don't want to be going to sell a house and have the realtor ask you, did you pull permits? And you yeah. should have pulled permits and you didn't and you lose a sale because of that. That's plus it's the right thing to do. Yeah, it is the right thing to do. And it saved us a couple of times uh, when our subs have screwed something up. It got caught by the inspectors, you know, something where our project managers missed it and the inspector caught it. Yeah. And uh, and uh, so it was, you know, it was good to have that inspection. I have, I have a couple of shower pans we did years ago that, you know, we didn't pull permits on that I had to go back three years afterwards and replace because they didn't put a liner in. Had we pulled a permit, there would have been a, you know, there would have been a pan inspection. Yeah. So we pull permits on everything now. That's awesome. Yeah. What are some costs to watch out for on flipping that ended up being huge at the end of it that you didn't see going into it that now you look for? Recent ones, I can, I've got quite a few examples, but I'll, you know, I'll keep it short. <laughs> Bad electricians. So if you have a cheap electrician, you think you're going to try the guy out, just be, be warned. I had a uh, flip that I just did recently. I had the electrician come in, my cheap, new cheap electrician that I was going to try. And I'd had him work on my house a couple of times. So I thought, oh, this guy's all right. He came in and wired the house up and nothing worked. Like none of the wiring was all wrong. So I had to have another electrician come in and basically almost rip everything out wow. and replace it. It was that bad. That's and so, rough. you know, what should have been an $8,000 electrical job was a $14,000 electrical job. And then also looking for any kind of homeowner add-ons. So stuff that wasn't permitted. Mm -hmm. Like if you have a, if you have an addition that wasn't permitted, you have to really watch for that kind of stuff because uh, we have one that we bought and we were going to replace the addition. Come to find out it was unpermitted and there was no footing <laughs> underneath <laughs> the foundation wall. So those kinds of things can run into some serious costs. Um, you know, structural stuff, termites. If you can afford to get a termite inspection before you close, 75 bucks is great, great money yeah. to spend. Uh, crawl space issues will get you every time. You know, you can spend five to $10,000 on a crawl space real quick and you get no return on your money nope. in a crawl space. Buyers don't see that. Well, and, and another thing, you know, turn the, turn the water on when you walk through a house, turn the water on, let it run for a little while and see if it drains. We've had a couple of... Uh, split levels, you know, everything's under the slab, all the piping. And we don't find out that the, uh, that the sewer main is plugged up until we're done and ready to, ready to sell the house. And then we got to cut the floor out. Oh, <laughs> so those <laughs> are good. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you try and remember everything. That's another reason why I'm always talking about systems. You know, if you have that in a checklist yeah. before you buy the house and you check it. So we have all of our stuff inspected before we buy it. Now we actually pay an inspection company to go out and inspect the houses before we buy them. 
and it's it saves us. Yeah. And then we have them inspect again before we sell, and we fix everything on those inspection reports, so our sales go real smooth. Yeah, because they give you a giant list, you can just hand that over to your subs, or your That's project it. manager, and That's it. You know, handle this. this. Well, we might replace some of this, and we, we kind of know what we need to look at. Mm-hmm. But big things like, you know, water and sewer and, and HVAC and electrical and aluminum wiring is another one. If you don't recognize aluminum wiring in a house and it's all over in Charlotte, yeah, it's all over. That can get real expensive real quick, real expensive. So those are just a couple. No, those are fantastic. <laughs> yeah, the crawl space thing uh, on new construction, if, if I can fit it in the budget. I love doing a seal crawl now because everybody's had so many. If you're if you've owned a home before, you or you bought a home or sold a yep. home, you've probably gone through a crawl space issue. And oh, absolutely! If you can alleviate that from the start on construction side. Why not do it? Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. You know, if you can seal the crawl space, I actually um, uh, have been thinking about about doing that more just because you get an inspector under there. If it's not pretty and perfect, yeah, yeah, some of those pictures look like. <laughs> you know, I can't even explain what those pictures look like, but they can make them look like the house is falling apart, even yeah. though it might be one small little defect. Uh, so, and that freaks people out because they're not going to get under there. Yeah. Right. You know, they can go and test the tub faucet and make sure it works, but they're not crawling under the house. Oh, they're no. going to rely on their inspector to tell them yeah. what's going on in pictures. Right. So, um, that's, that's a, that's a good thing. So if you can make the crawl space pretty upfront, yeah. that helps a lot. And the inspector, inspector loves you for it. Oh, he doesn't yeah. get covered in dirt and mud and sea snakes. And yeah. Yeah. The last thing you want to do is have, you know, go be going to sell a house and have the inspector come out of the crawl space covered in mud and mad. Yep. Because <laughs> guess what? <laughs> He's going to ding you on everything else. Yeah. He's going to show you. That'll be reflected on your inspection. <laughs> That's before. exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, we have a love-hate relationship with inspectors. We appreciate what they do, but there are some of them out there that we just shake our heads at like, you yeah. know. Have you ever, like, really, do you really know how a house is built? Do you really know how it works? Yeah. You know, if, if I, and I don't want to, I don't want to belittle them because it, I, I appreciate their profession, but there are some that we, we really struggle with. There's a couple that I won't allow on my properties. Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, there's one thing to inspect it and there's one thing to just kill a deal. It's like, yeah. hey, look, whatever you find can be fixed or the magnitude of what you found, you know. Where is that? Is it a big deal or is that in every house they're going to go look at from here on out anyways? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think the presentation of that is, is key. Well, and it's it's uh, aggravating language. Yeah. You know, house could fall down. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of aggravating language yeah. that they use in their report sometimes. So I've had a couple guys that just, I'll, I'll ask, you know, who are you using for inspection? And if it's one of those guys, I'm like, nope, find somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> so, because they, they're deal killers. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you've given us a lot already, but um, are there any other lessons you guys have learned from flipping hundreds of houses, Um, whether it's with systems and like mistakes you made early on or? Probably, probably the two biggest things that affect the, um, the quality and the success of a flip project. And I know this by personal experience is setting, setting all the expectations up, you know, up front with the contractor, uh, with everybody involved, with mm-hmm. your lender, with everyone. So two of the big things are, are a scope of work. So you have to make sure and have a very detailed, the very thorough scope of work so that you know you and the contractor know exactly what the two of what you're, what you're expecting of each other. Yeah. Um, that includes a, a pay schedule that's tied to that and then the selections. So you don't want to be making decisions on what 
tile and lighting fixtures and plumbing fixtures to put in a house when they're ready to go in. And that's what I think most rehabbers do. It's like, oh, it's time for, you know, it's time for tile. Let me run down and pick out the tile. Now yeah. you, you have all that stuff up front and have it, you know, have it ready to go. The other thing too is, is, uh, then you can really price it out and you know what your budget is, you know? And, um, the nice thing is sometimes you can buy stuff early and save money. Yeah. You know, buy stuff during sales and and those types of things. So that really helps a lot, having everything picked out up front. And that way, if you're using a contractor that's doing a, doing a lump sum, there's not a lot of surprises at the end. So, Yeah, that's great feedback. Yeah, if you're using the same color tile, I mean, you can always... It's another system you're talking about. Like, yeah. If you can go try and use the same one on every flip or remodel, it just helps you out. And we have, so we have um, several different packages that we have put together with standard selections. Yeah. And then we work with, you know, Lowe's or Home Depot or whoever our supplier is, and they'll actually create the list. You know, we'll give them quantities and they'll go, they'll go create the list for us. And then everybody knows exactly what we're putting in every house. Does it always work out perfectly? No, it does not. In fact, a lot of times it, it falls short, but I'll tell you, having that up front sure makes things go a lot smoother. The times I haven't done that, I've regretted it. Absolutely. When I get, especially when I get too busy. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that you see people who are getting into rehabbing, like a mistake that a lot of them make that you shake your head at and they go, you definitely shouldn't do that? I'm sure that's one of them is making decisions at the last minute. Yeah, that's a big one. I mean, if you're doing one flip, you can do that. You know, yeah. if you have free time and you can just jump in the truck and go to Lowe's and bring materials to the site, then it's not that big of a deal. But if you're doing more than about three, you, you better be thinking about how you're going to supply materials, if you're supplying materials, and and uh, which ones that you want to go in to your project. You know, one of the things I see them do is they'll do a lump sum contract where materials are included, and they don't specify what materials are supposed to go in. So guess what they get? <laughs> the cheapest. You know, they get the cheapest builder-grade crap in there. Yeah. And, and then they wonder the ugliest. why. Yeah, yeah. And then they wonder why the faucet explodes the day before inspection, you know. I did that one time. <laughs> um, oh, this contractor's great. You know, he had lots of referrals and, oh, okay, well, you know, we walk through it. Here's what we want to do and give me a bid. And he gave me the bid and I was so busy. I just signed it. And next thing I knew I had, you know, Aquasource toilets going in and just all these really subpar materials yeah. going in, you know, the crappiest paint he could buy. And it shows, mm-hmm. you know, it does. It shows when you walk into a house, you can tell. So I see that mistake a lot. And then just, just in general, not knowing what it really costs to do a rehab, you know, they, they might run, they might put a, put together a spreadsheet with two or three numbers on it. Well, I, my spreadsheet's got, I want to say it's got 40 numbers on it that are all included in Mm. what we look at when we're doing a flip and it's all time bound and we have, you know, how much are we paying for interest on our loans? They're not even thinking about their interest. They're just looking at their gross profit. You need to focus on net profit. If you focus on gross, you know, you can make a hundred thousand dollars gross profit and make zero dollars net profit. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. It happens, you know, especially if you don't get it done quickly. And then being pushovers with the contractors. You know, they let the contractors run the job rather than them running the job. So those are some of the common mistakes. Yeah. No, those are great. Um I definitely see those happen a lot. Mm-hmm. You yeah. talked a little bit earlier about getting out of the four or $500,000 uh, remodels. That kind of takes us into where do you think the market's heading? Do you not feel as well about that area right now? Or where do you see the market going from, from here on out? I wouldn't be worried right now if I had one of those. 
but I'm not going to be out actively looking for those. Feeling across the nation is that we're in the ninth inning right now and a hiccup in interest rates. And we had a little hiccup and we saw what it did. It's the, mm-hmm. the, the real estate market slowed way down with that little hiccup in interest rates. Now they're lowering rates again because they saw what happened. But eventually the Fed's going to have to bring those rates back up. So that's the number one thing that's going to impact pricing. You know, if you're, if you're going to buy a five, buy a $500,000 house, a, you know, 1% interest rate raise is a pretty significant raise in payment. So that reduces affordability. And unfortunately that's, you know, that's the price point that gets hit a lot. Is that, is that over 400, 500 price point? Plus if you're over, I think it's 562,000, that's a jumbo loan. And the number of people that can buy a house with a jumbo loan shrinks significantly above that, you know, above that price point. So, uh, cause most people can't qualify for it. Yeah. So that's why I like the lower price points. Plus there's just, there's just, it's just a bigger pool of buyers. There's, there's more people that will either buy it as a wholesale deal or buy it as, you know, a retail deal. You can even list some of those just mm-hmm. as is. And that works out really well for us sometimes. So there's just a lot, a lot more exit strategies. You know, you're talking about $500,000 house. You can't rent a $500,000 house and make the payment. It's pretty hard in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. You might yeah. be able to get away with that in Seattle or, or uh, uh, Portland, but here it's 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 hard to rent out a five hundred thousand dollars house and and get thirty five hundred or four thousand dollars a month to cover your payment. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's that's really why we stay out of that. So mainly the exit strategies. There's not a lot. No, there's exits. just no, there's one exit strategy. Yeah. Sell. That's it. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like it. What are your What are your future goals look like? I know you've joined with the betters and are building a, a large company. Like what, what do your goals look like in the next couple of years? So we have some big financial goals, of course. Um, we want to give away a lot of money. So we want to donate a lot of money. In fact, um, the betters are on a plane right now to Honduras. Uh, they're both in the medical field. She's a registered nurse. He's a PA. So they're going to Honduras for 10 days Wow! to uh, serve the poor there with their, you know, with their medical skills, which is really cool. Made a donation. They made a donation to that uh, organization as well. So that, you know, after they leave, they can continue to have some impact there. But we, you know, we really, at the end of the day, we want to impact our community and our world with our business. Uh, And, you know, you get to a certain point where it's like, you know, how much money do you need? Right. You want, you want to leave a legacy. You want to make an impact. So that's really where we're kind of heading with this uh, first and foremost. So that's what keeps us motivated and keeps us going. It's not the, it's not the income, not that that's not nice because it is, but that's really where we're headed. And then secondly, you know, uh, freedom, we want freedom. We want to set up systems and hire the right people, mm-hmm. uh, so that we don't have to constantly be involved in the business. We can be involved when we want to, or when we're just needed, but I don't want to have to work, you know, 60 hours a week to run my business. I want to yeah. be able to work when I want to. And I know they feel the same way. They have young kids at home. And they want to spend more time with their kids, you know, especially being in the medical field and having to work weekends and those kinds of things. They've missed, missed a lot with their kids. So I think uh, both of us and my kids are older. I've got a, uh, my middle daughter just turned 18. So she's, you know, on her way out the door <laughs> and, and I don't want to, I don't want to miss this, this precious time with her. Yeah. And then my son's 13 and I don't want to miss the next, you know, four or five years with him because I'm so busy working on or working in my business, I should say. I want to be working on my business, not in it. Yeah. <laughs> the other cool thing about uh, building a, a real business rather than just having, you know, building yourself a job is it allows you to do other things that you're passionate about. So we both have other, you know, we all have other passions that we want to pursue and you need time to do that. Yeah. And if you're, you know, at the office 
working 60 hours a week, you can't pursue those other things. So just, it, it, it's, it's, it's having some balance in life. Too. Yeah. What so. are some of the things you like to do? Like, what are you passionate about outside of flipping hundreds of houses? I love skiing. Yeah. I grew up in uh, Salt Lake City, so I grew up on skis. I love skiing. Yeah. So me and a group of guys, uh, and I took Zach last year, he loved it, but me and a group of guys uh, take a trip somewhere in the world and go skiing for four or five days every year. And I like to do that as much as possible. I just love the outdoors, I love hiking, uh, mountain biking. I love mountain biking. It's it's one of my favorite things to do. I want to get into backpacking and, and just, you know, those kinds of things where I'm outdoors. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like a, a lot of people share the same dream and goal of having more financial freedom to be able to spend time where they want to, and then also to make money so they can give it back right. to what they're passionate about. That's awesome. Uh, if you were to get started again all over today, knowing what you know now, what would you do differently in starting, like whether it's flipping or doing new home builds, what would you do differently starting today? So the big mistake I made early on, I went, to, you know, I said I went to that boot camp. I actually hired a coach, which was a fantastic decision. You know, I put thirteen grand on my credit card, and I knew I had to do something. So I was like, you know, you got to figure yeah. this out because I don't want to have to pay this back over the next ten years with my engineering job, right? <laughs> so that was definitely one thing I did right. But what I didn't do is I didn't network. I just, you know, I had my coach and I just wanted to figure it out. And um, I didn't start networking until about oh, 2012, 2013. And that's when things really started to improve and take off is when I started to network. And that's, I mean, that's literally changed my business. So it's, I went up and spoke at the Asheville RIA this last week on Tuesday. And I had some, I had a, a new investor ask me that same question. Yeah, It's like, so what would you do different? And I said, I would network more. He's like, it was nine o'clock at night. He's like, you want to go to dinner? <laughs> I said, that's what I'm talking well about. You know, so he took me out, bought me a $12 dinner and I'll bet he got, you know, $10,000 worth of yeah. nuggets. Oh yeah. Sitting there. And it, it's so easy because, you know, one of the things I love about Charlotte is the investors who are here are very helpful, you know, myself included, but, but it, there's a community and a, and a culture here of helpfulness. We want to help see other people be, uh, be successful. So, and, you know, I know I see... I don't see a pie that we all, you know, there, you can only have so many pieces of the pie. There's just, to me, there's just unlimited opportunity here. It's to, to me, it's us against the eye buyers. Right yeah. now. <laughs> so, you know, against the, the, the Zillows and the, and the open doors and knocks and all those folks, it's us against them right now. So I, I'm, I love helping other investors. Absolutely. And now there are buyers, you know, people that I've known for years, that I never wholesale to. Now we're wholesaling to those people. Yeah. And so they're making us money. It just, it's great. It's yeah. great. It's definitely a people business and yep. you can learn a lot. Like I could talk to you about a potential flip and you could save me a $10,000 problem of like, oh, look in the crawl space. Yep. Yep. And that happens all the time. And that takes like 30 seconds from you and that saves me 10 grand. Like that's huge. Yep. Absolutely. So before we get off, we've got the the lightning round where we're going to ask you a couple of questions. Okay. You've got 30 seconds to answer each of them. Are you ready? Where's my buzzer? <laughs> we do need a buzzer. That'd be awesome. <laughs> you need one of those. Uh, that was easy. <laughs> That's what you need. All right. Starting off. What that is, was for free. Yeah. $10,000. There we go. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> What's your favorite way to source deals? I don't have a favorite way. Any any way we can get a deal. Yeah. I mean, I, I, love, I just love relationships. You know, I, I love building rapport with people. 
Now, I don't do that as much anymore, but when my best deals came from long-term rapport building, absolutely. And that's painful for a lot of people. You know, they want to go on the appointment, get the deal deal. and move on. But a lot of the really good deals take a long time and a lot of effort and a lot of hand holding, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot of car trips, you know, sitting in the driveway. Not that I love doing that, but it's really cool when one of those pays off. Yeah, it is. Awesome. What role did you outsource or systematize that has had the biggest impact on your business? Oh, recently project management. Yeah. Yeah. We hired a a guy named Matt who's now running our project management division. And he is just, I can't say enough about the guy. Uh, So that's my most recent one. But before that was our acquisitions manager. Yeah. And we just decided we're going to just pay the money and hire A players and it's amazing when you hire eight players, what a difference it makes. It brings everyone else up. It brings us up. Yeah. You know, we thought we were eight players till we put these guys <laughs> in place. We're like, man, these guys are good. <laughs> I want them to be better than I am. Yeah. And Matt is definitely 100% better than me yeah. at running projects. He's well, just got that kind of brain. Out of curiosity, what is uh, his background? So he is a, he, he was a licensed realtor. Uh, he worked in a project management company for a while. He actually used to run... and I hope I get this right. Maybe he won't listen to this podcast, but (laughs) I think he used to run delivery systems in mines. Like, so there was a lot of systems stuff going on there and timing and scheduling. And Matt, if you're listening to this, I hope I got that right. But I know we talk about the mines all the time. And and so it's amazing to watch his, his system and scheduling mind work on these projects. Cause me, I'm a, you know, I'm a high, I have a uh, uh, high eye when my disc test. Yeah. So I want to, I want to be relational with people. So I kind of, I manage my projects in a relational way. He's just very like, look, this is the expectation. This is what's going to happen or this is what's going to happen. Right. So yeah. he's fantastic. And then, and then again, uh, acquisitions manager, getting that, you know, getting those appointments, yeah. those seven o'clock in the afternoon appointments or seven o'clock in the evening appointments off my back and off of Stephanie's back, you know, we're closers, but I don't want to be going on appointments at seven o'clock at night. Yeah. So, you know, we found people that'll do that for us. That's awesome. Uh, what's something that you add to your flips that helps separate them from the others, like a nest thermostat or doggy doors or anything that you add to them? What we found is not necessarily having to add something kitschy in there, yeah. but just high quality, high quality, just, just details. People walk in to a house and they notice, they'll notice something wrong way before they notice something right. You can do all the shiplap and, you know, weathered wood walls you want. If your paint looks like crap, it it doesn't matter. They'll walk out the door. So we just try and do high quality and I'm very picky, very, very picky. I went blue taped a new build the other day. I use an entire roll of blue tape. I used a whole roll. So, <laughs> and people notice that stuff. They yeah. do, you know, so that's, that's really how we do it. Not to, not to say we don't occasionally put in, you know, some cool, uh, uh feature, but it's really just the quality. Yeah, just quality workmanship. Yep. yep. That's absolutely it. right. What's uh, your favorite business book? Oh boy. Right now I'm, I'm finishing up, uh, getting things done Yeah, and implementing that system. Traction's another fantastic book, Traction and Rocket Fuel. I mean, we built our entire business around the EOS system. So that, those are fantastic books. God, there's so many. There's so many. But yeah. those are the three that I would say are basic systems books that help you get, you know, go from having a job to having a business. Yeah, I've read Traction, and that is a phenomenal book for anyone that hasn't read it. It's mm-hmm. definitely worth picking up. It'll give you a new perspective. 
on where your role is in, in your organization yep. and what you need to do to take it to the next level. Yeah, we were lucky because we did, uh, when we when we joined, we, we had a coach, an implementer come in and, and actually walk us through in three days yeah. how to set up our company. We built our vision out. We did all that. And it's amazing the, the rewards that that has reaped. So that's been great. That's fantastic. Well, Jeff, it's been absolutely awesome to have you on. You've given a lot of gold. Uh, before we hop off, is there anywhere that you want our listeners to be able to go to find you or learn more about Better Path Properties? Yeah, so they can go to our website. It's uh, choose choosebetterpath.com. So C-H-O-O-S-E, uh, betterpath.com. So that's our website. And of course, that's you know set up to, uh, to bring in deals. So uh, we don't actually have any deals on the website, but that's where you can find our phone number. Or if you want to get on our wholesalers, uh, on our list for wholesale deals, uh, you can email noel at noel which is N-O-E-L at choosebetterpath.com. Perfect. And if someone wants to buy you a nice steak dinner or some lobster, can they get in contact with you? <laughs> Tell them to call the office. Call the office. <laughs> <laughs> I figure you don't want more coffee. Yeah, no, I'm good on coffee. All right, awesome. Well, Jeff, thanks for coming on today. All right, man, thank you very much. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Who Knows Real Estate. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and check out our show notes for the guest contact info as well as ours. Be sure to look for our next episode. Thanks.